inspiration behind a social enterprise can come from the most unlikely places. For one UK-based entrepreneur, the desire to save 10 tons of decommissioned fire hose from the landfill each year prompted her activism. But that was just the beginning. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Baerbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change Magazine. On today's episode, we speak with Cressy Wesling, co-founder of Elvis and Cressy, a company that reimagines and recycles raw material waste into belts, bags, rugs, notebooks, and other products. After successfully saving London's fire hoses each year, the duo have now set their vision on solving an issue 80 times greater, saving 800,000 tons of leather from landfills. In this interview, Cressy shares what brought her to fire hoses, her cautious approach to scale, a commitment to slow fashion, and why they've now turned their focus on leather. I came to London in 2004, and I'm a different kind of tourist. Your average tourist really would want to go first to the Tower of London and the National Gallery and Buckingham Palace. And and I, I didn't really do that. I wanted to see how society worked. And it's the same no matter where I go the first time. I want to, I want to go to a grocery store. I want to see what people buy and what people eat. Right. And I want to go to the dump and see what people throw away. Right. And and it's just, it's because in those two moments, I think you can discover the, the success and the failure of a society, maybe. I was really, really surprised that in that particular year, 100 million tons of waste went to landfill. I started researching it. What's really interesting is that all of Greater London's hoses go to Croydon for a team of 10 staff. Yeah either decommission them or repair them. So they, they do everything they can to keep these things Save in service because yeah. they are very expensive. Mm-hmm. And, but, 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 you know, if you get a catastrophic tear at meter 11 of a 22 meter hose, that's it. Short hoses are of no use to you. Right. And I went to Croydon. I was training for the London Marathon. I ran to Croydon and went to this, you know, and it's a vision that I really would never be able to strip from my brain because I was, it was very hot. I ran there, got up to the roof, was joking with these guys. And there's just coils and coils and coils of this rich, lustrous, red, unforgettable material just sitting there. And I thought this is, this really can't be going to landfill. This is just beautiful. And you could say I was delirious or, you know, uh, but I saw beautiful. I saw something really in, insanely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And also, I met these people, who, who are very, and this is like there are common traits I think in in the fire service. They tend to be, you know, quite relaxed, quite easygoing people that can, you know, when the bell rings, become very very serious mm-hmm. and very focused. Uh, they're 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 also quite you know naturally generous people and genuine people and heroic people. And I remember saying just in that moment, right, I'm going to take this and I'm going to give you guys half the money. Wow. <laughs> and I kind of went away. I took a hose home with me and and got got back home and said to Elvis, right, this is this is what we're going to do. And he said, what do you mean we? And I was like, well, we're going to rescue this fire hose. He's like, 
he's like, I love you, babe, but I've got a job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it sort of, you know, it was one of these things where I just then started to really dive into the material. So we started something there that now absolutely defines what Elvis and I do. We researched the material. What is it? What's it made out of? How much is there? What is the best possible outcome for this material? Are we the ones who can save this raw material or should the should I actually be devoting my time to finding the that group or that individual or that business that already has a solution for this? Mm-hmm. And the first thing we discovered is that no one else had a solution for it. The second thing was that uh, the material that the that the fire hose is made from nitrile rubber wove it's a double wall nitrile rubber with a uh, a nylon core because of that you can't shred it melt it and make uh, new things so it doesn't work like glass or metal or right polyester so we knew as a compound we had to basically use it as it was and then you know we had some serendipity moments we discovered that you know louis vuitton uses a similar a similar polymer for its monogram collection mm. we discovered that um you know fire hose uh, when it's no longer fire hose is no longer fireproof we discovered that because oh. I, I initially wanted to make roof tiles. Um, but if it's not fireproof, if, I'm not going to make a roof out of it. And if it's yeah. and if it's not, um, you know, if you leave it outside for 10 years, it will crack. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have a prolonged UV resistance like like a, a slate would or another mineral. So we we did a lot of research and before we came up with the idea of making belts and bags. So there there was absolutely no desire to, 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 to set up a luxury goods business. There was a desire to save the fire hose and do something for the fire service. So that was 2005. And then, so the first products were, um, you were making belts, was the primary product or was it um, person? When did, when did one lead to the other? Because now you have, and I'm going to ask a bit more about it, but you have like a whole list of products. The first product we got out the door was belts. Our first belts. order was okay. for belts. Okay. And actually it made a lot of sense because fire hose is long and straight and belts are long and straight. Right. And the equipment that you need um, or that we needed to start making belts, you know, came to the grand total of thirty nine ninety nine, um, mm-hmm. which is in in today's U.S. money, that's about fifty to fifty dollars. Yeah. So, yeah. So we we had a very limited budget, and we spent it very wisely <laughs> on a rotary cutting tool, and we made belts for the first year while we were learning to make other goods. So did either of you have any experience in crafting, craftsmanship or, you know, designing, building? Like what, what your background didn't seem like to really fall into that. Did no. Elvis's? Was no, I, I, no. I, I, the only thing I can say is that I, I, a traditional design background actually would have made us run away from the fire. Because <laughs> a traditional designer, when you're, and actually this is going to start to change as we get towards more of a circular economy. Right. But traditional designers are taught to, you know, come up with an idea and then go out and acquire the materials to achieve that idea, whether uh, that be a dress or a building or right. something else. Whereas we were looking at a, at a, at a material and trying to work back from right. that. Right. Okay. And, and it, and if firehose doesn't lend itself 
necessarily to being a textile because there's about six or seven processes that you have to do in order to transform it into a textile, none of which existed before we started to, to reclaim it. So all of, all of which we invented over time. And it's, it's a completely different way to go about something. So I actually think our lack of experience was a benefit there. The, mm. o- the only thing I can say is that, um, Elvis is uh, multi-talented, and uh, I have one of my colleagues in the room right now, so she's probably going to laugh. But, <laughs> you know, when I when I he 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 could he's got a, a bike mechanics qualification. He learned right. how to b- build a bike from from absolutely nothing. He is a ocean master yachtsman and can navigate by the stars. He you know did all but one exam to become an air traffic controller and. He's just got he's just got these kind this ability to I don't know what it is hand eye coordination but he can if you ask him to do something yeah he can translate a concept into a concrete thing nice and he doesn't seem to have any barriers with that and I think that's just a it's a perseverance that he's got it's a stubbornness but but clearly also a skill. Yeah, yeah, then that can come in handy for sure. So that's yeah, that's pretty awesome. So when did you start expanding what you're offering? So you said for a year you were doing belts. Um, yeah. At what point did you say, okay, it's time for us to uh, expand into other products? And were you looking at other material too immediately, or did you, um, you know, was it still always about the firehose and then figuring out different ways that you can work with it? No, we, we, uh, like, I'm a sort of waste junkie, really. So I keep going back to, um, landfill sites. I have a map in, in my, in my brain that, of where the materials are in the UK that I'm interested in, um, who has them, what, what we can do with them. And to be honest, you know, people say, Oh, what are you going to do if you run out of fire hose? I was like, well, I can just snap my fingers and <laughs> pull one of the other materials out of my brain and, and go and get that. So, there is such an enormous amount of material out there that we knew we were never going to stop with fire hose. It's, it was just a question of how are we going to combine it with the fire hose? How are we going to combine it with where the brand is going or where the business is going mm-hmm. with, you know, with the expertise that we're developing. Um, but essentially we ask ourselves this, those same core questions every time we encounter a new raw material, you know, what is the scale of the problem here? Or can we solve it? And can we come up with something that really truly honors the, raw material itself and mm-hmm. makes the best and makes the best use of it. So even in that first year, we knew we weren't just going to make belts and we knew we weren't just going to work with okay. fire hose. So you knew so at we, the top already. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we started already, um, you know, collecting other raw materials that might be complementary to do the linings and the packaging, etc. Okay. We also started basically learning how to make the products. And the reason I can now genuinely say that that Elvis can and does make bags is because in that first year, no one would make anything for us because we were walking around with these strips of of fire hose saying, will you make a bag for us? And we went to all the best luxury people that we could find who would answer the phone. And when when we came to the face to face meeting, they all said, no, we do leather and this is this is dirty old fire hose. So we used from sell, from our belt, we, we used all of the money we made selling belts to buy a sewing machine. At what point did you know, okay, now we can invest in, in something new? Were you funded this whole time? Like, how did you sort of make those decisions? A lot of people struggle with when do we grow? How do we know we're ready to do that and expand into a new line or expand into a new product? Like, 
take us just through a little bit of that that thought process and how you make those decisions. Well, there's there's uh, you know everybody there's there's a, the whole industry fast moving consumer goods right and yeah. fast fashion. We we are slow moving consumer goods. Right. We are slow. We are not fashion at all. Um, you know, fashion is trendy and ephemeral, and we are not either of those things. So we have never made decisions that way either. Mm-hmm. And we have, if you think about, a lot of companies would be probably unhappy with the growth rate, with the growth rate that we've had over the years, because mm-hmm. especially in this very bizarre time when most MBA students think they're going to go from zero to Mark Zuckerberg in yes. about three, three minutes, which is. It, it, it may be possible in the software or app world, but certainly is not possible <laughs> when you actually are making a physical thing. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it, it's a, it's an, for us, we never made, we never sold anything at a loss. We never invested he- heavily in stock when we didn't think that we could sell it through. So we mm-hmm. were, sticking with minimums from the beginning and going out and, and often pre-selling things before they arrived. Mm-hmm. We we did everything ourselves. We made our own website. We did all our own photography. We we knew every aspect of the business because we had done every aspect of the business. We had we we clean hose ourselves. We make products ourselves. We made the website ourselves. We we did all the marketing ourselves we there was no one else involved in any of those activities so we uh, had a really great understanding in the first couple of years of what our cost basis was Mm -hmm. but we were making money so in so we had this kind of idea that actually all we needed to do was reinvest what we we donate 50 percent of the profits to charity right the other the other 50 percent we reinvest Mm mm-hmm and we just kept doing that. And if you keep doing that, it means that you've got money for growth. Um, we never took external funding. I'm not sure external funding would have been available to us in the first couple of years. Um, but you really didn't. Okay. Cause yeah, cause we dipped yeah. into the recession. Mm. So we just, we just, you know, we started the business in a bedroom in a shared house. We lived in a shared house. We had a sewing machine in, in the bedroom that we rent. <laughs> when we had enough money to rent a garage, we rented a garage. When we had enough money to upgrade to a workshop, we upgraded to a workshop. Now we're in a, um, you know, beautiful old building in rural Kent um, that 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 is, you know, unbelievably beautiful and incredible to be in. Right. But it took us several, well, it took us a decade to get here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, but yeah, that. But yeah. that's that's kind of how we make decisions. So instead of instead of we've. And Elvis uh, understands that debt exists, but I don't. He's not comfortable with it, right? On a personal level, and right. um, that so that was never going to be a way that we financed the business. Mm-hmm. It also means that we're you know you you know I am a pro risk person. Elvis is very risk averse, and balances that leads out. to a it absolutely balances yeah. out. So when I come home with ten new materials a day, he'll say. <laughs> When you sell these <laughs> and you create a system for selling all of this, then absolutely we can do that, Max. So it's a very good partnership in that sense yeah. because we do get to move forward because I'm constantly hammering to move forward, but we never do it without being really ready to do it and without being able to finance it. I'm not saying we would never take financing. I'm just saying that it's, 
it, it probably would have been unhelpful in the early years as mm-hmm. we were really trying to embed our ethics and our principles mm-hmm. and, and and everything that's unique and and good about being Elvis and Cressy. So, right. yeah, I think it, it's something that we could do now because we, we, we have our brand has power. Our brand has enough history yes. to make someone not want to mess with it. Is Would you say that there's one particular material that still is constant and it would it be the fire hose still or, or have you evolved? And I'm going to ask you a bit about next in your evolution as a company, the next 10 years, uh, is there an evolution in terms of material or in terms of vision um, that you see moving forward? All the vision keeps getting bigger and bigger. You know, at first, all I wanted to do was rescue the hose. And and that became the first focus of the business. But by 2010, we were big enough to be saving all of London's hoses every year. So, so we, you you have to then reset your ambition because that's not enough anymore because it's, that's, that's finished. So, so we, we are constantly re- setting our ambition based on what we think we might be able to achieve, mm-hmm. which is, which is uh, cool considering the leather issue that we're now decided to tackle is about eight, 80,000 times larger than the fire hose problem. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's, that's basically the scaling decision. I, we have no interest in scaling for, you know, for just the raw sake of growth right. or for money, you know, Money to us is uh, WD-40. It's it's the grease in the wheels that helps things go. Mm-hmm. But it's not why you would do something. Why we would scale the business is because if we were able to be 80,000 times larger, whether that be on our own or through partnerships, we could solve the world's leather waste problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that is, that's something to scale. That's a reason to scale, particularly as we're going to, 50% of the profits from that are going to go into renewable energy. So, you know, there's a, there, I feel like there's a mandate for us to grow and it's quite a moral one. And with the, with the, the leather collection, we are really pushing circularity because mm. our, as particularly the rugs, you know, they're designed to be taken apart and, and to be made into new goods. So right. if you had a six by four rug and you wanted a 12 by 15, well, you could just add pieces to it. It's like Lego. If you then got tired of that rug, you could take it apart and reupholster a chair with it. Mm-hmm. So there's there's really, given that leather is totally, uh, you know, an incredibly hard-wearing natural material once it's been tanned and dyed, mm-hmm. and it's not, not going to biodegrade anytime soon. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be putting it into cheap, crappy, disposable products. It should be the leg, the legacy and the... The, the, the heritage of it should be retained and be able to be carried forward into the future. So that's how I see the circular economy. And the circular economy doesn't exist if we don't power it with renewables. Okay. And so moving forward, you're going to see that more and more as a focus of the business? Yes. Okay, okay. What's the uh, product that is the best seller right now? Is there one? Uh, actually, it's this is really bizarre because for a long time, it was one product. And now it's the uh, weekend bag. The weekend bag, yeah. Yeah, which is our the most ex- expensive. <laughs> the most which is expensive interesting, right? Like it's sell, yeah. and yet it's the most popular. Oh, okay, yeah. it's really lovely. Actually, I was, I was looking at it. Any lessons learned over the years that you you'd want to share? Any tips, advice um, for others looking to start their own social enterprise or to take it to the next level? You've been around a while. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, we're, and we're in the process again of, you know, I think everyone thinks that there's one next level. Hmm. So there isn't. It's like when you're, it's like when you're climbing a really, really big hill in the fog and you keep thinking, oh, the top's probably right there. Oh, the top's probably right there. (laughs) And it's all these, you know, these false summits, right? Yeah. There, there are so many next levels that you could go to and they're not, they're, they're not always financial. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, you know, one of the biggest steps that we took was to actually um, establish uh, 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 our own manufacturing. Oh. And that was a huge step for us to take. It was absolutely the best thing that we could have done, mm. but it was a big risk at, at the time. Right. Um, so, so there's all these levels. There's all yeah. these things to shoot for. If you're, if essentially what you're doing isn't, isn't challenging or worthwhile, then I would stop doing it. So to any entrepreneur, I, I would give that same advice. If you yeah. don't find it interesting and challenging and you don't think it's good for people or for the environment, I would just change tack and go mm-hmm. and do something else. And, but if you've got those two things in happening, so whether the challenge and, you know, that you know that there's positive social or environmental value, then you, then you're, then you're almost responsible and um, this my my grandmother said to me once. She said, "If you're capable, you're responsible." Mm-hmm. And and I think about that a lot. She probably wouldn't even have thought twice about saying that. But it's it it enters my brain once a week. If there's something that is out there to be fixed that I can fix, I've got to fix it. Mm-hmm. And that does mean that if you have a business that has social environmental value and is challenging and is basically creating good in the world you you're kind of obliged to grow it Hmm. and that doesn't necessarily mean financially it means the the impact right right but often you can't grow the impact unless you grow it financially well that's the thing yeah exactly exactly anything else that you wanted to say about where you see the company um moving forward we're on another like scale if i go back to scale we're on another we are on this this new pathway now because we've taken on the leather yes. issue and th- this is scale of a magnitude far 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 beyond um anything that we've ever tackled before so it is a, a step change mm-hmm. and i think the interesting thing for us is that because we have the amount of experience that we do and we've been working uh, on this for over 10 years now is that we're although it is you know, it's probably the riskiest that it's going to involve loads of risk and, and lots of fun and lots of challenges and probably lots of heartache and failure and all the rest of it. It's, it's something that we feel confident and compelled to do because it's there and, and no one else is going to, is going to, no one else is going to really tackle this mm-hmm. issue. We, we sort of feel if we don't. So I think the other thing that lots of uh, social entrepreneurs need to keep in mind as they go through their journey the thing that will wake keep you waking up every day and and keeping you on track is is just thinking you know what i've got to do this because the solution isn't there yet right um and and i would partner with you know we will partner with anyone else who wants to help us on the solution we we will always you know we don't have to we're not egotistical about fixing everything ourselves but i do feel like in the in in this space in the social enterprise space in the b corp space i feel that like a lot of the businesses that 
that are in this, that are acting in this way are reasons for scale are because there are in, enormous problems that mm-hmm. won't, won't be solved in any other way. Right, right. And that's why you're taking it on. If you're capable, yeah. you do it. <laughs> yeah. It's an obligation. Um, and you say it's it's a bigger step than the other ones. Is it because just the material itself is more expensive to work with or di- more difficult to work with? Um, or is it a variety of reasons that makes this uh, a little more of a daunting uh, step for you? It's the sheer volume of material uh-huh. and 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 how complicated the supply chains are in which it's involved. So. You know, when you're working with Firehose, you're, you you know pretty much who to go to to work with. Um, and you, by collecting their waste, you're saving money for a public sector organization. And it's actually relatively straightforward. But leather exists in so many different industries and at so many different stages in the supply chain that it's and it's just and there's just 800,000 tons of it every mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a global problem. It's really spread out. It's in a complicated chain, um, so yeah, it's that's why it's that's why it's much more daunting. Okay, okay. And so you're open to partnering with others who might be interested in doing the same thing with you. Oh yeah, they, yeah, yeah. And actually, we're, we're going to announce our first major partnership later this year. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, there is. What's really interesting is I also think that the longer you stay with a problem and that you prove you can be successful at solving a problem, the more you're going to attract. Uh, support and collaboration and and help because people are like oh I don't know how to fix this but you know those people over there they've got some ideas mm-hmm. <laughs> let's give mm-hmm. let's give them a call so and that's something that only really comes with uh, with experience and perseverance and with you know gaining slowly over time a positive re- reputation for solving problems absolutely which you've done so um wonderful thank you so 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 much for taking the time to speak with me i really really do appreciate it thank you thank you for listening to in the business of change be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe i'm your host elisa birnbaum Thank you.